Hi, I'm Marika and welcome to Money Chill Out. On this podcast, I want to dive into the world of the often unspoken topic of money. Effective personal finance management can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. After a 10-year career on trading floors in London, I want to help demystify the intimidating world of finance and have an open, honest and frank conversation. By opening the discussion, I wish you identify yourself, learn, be inspired and get empowered. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversation on money, mindset, investment habits and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. Today, I have the pleasure to welcome Lindsay, a pretty inspiring profile in the finance industry with 20 years of experience. She started in New York City at Merrill Lynch before going back to Seattle, where she runs a family business in financial planning and advice. Throughout her career, she's seen the need for greater female engagement, both in the field and in personal finance, and she's decided to do something about it. Through workshops, consulting, and the writing of a book, she wants to empower women and give them the confidence they need. So let's learn more about all these projects and get some great tips from an expert. Today, we're back with Lindsay on the investment subject and on initiatives to empower women taking ownership of their finances. You don't have to listen to part one to follow this discussion, but I still advise you to do so as it was great. So let's talk about investments now. So we often hear on media about wage gaps, but there's another notion, which is the wealth gap. And it's actually a bigger number. So it's all the percentage of assets which are detained by women. And it's actually 40% less than men. And there's few reasons for this. First one being women are paid less, but also they tend to take less risk in their investments and get less performance. They're more likely to do a career break and they also tend to live longer. So these four things made up the 40% less than the men. So what's your assessments on women's wealth, especially? I think it's really interesting and I'm glad that it's something that's being talked about more and really just identified as an area that we should be focusing on. So I talk about this when I do my female workshops and to me, it creates an opportunity When I think about it, I'm, you know, I think about all that's happening for women and all that's yet to come. And I think that it really is going to be a major shift happening. While the gap in assets is relatively large, it is shrinking. And that's encouraging to me as well. And I think it's shrinking because women, we're taking more action. We're being more proactive and being engaged. Mm -hmm. In the United States, women control more than 50% of the wealth. And that number is projected to grow to over 66% by the end of the decade. So again, that's movement that's happening in the right direction. And I think part of that is, to your point, women live longer. So there's a lot of money that's passing from generation to generation, and women are being the recipients of that. So to me, it's really, again, an opportunity to say, we've got some room to improve, but we've also, we've come a long way, and we're making progress. So we really need to take a closer look at those Areas that you identify tending to take less risk, you know, which makes us sometimes miss out on performance, more likely to take time out of the career. Like, what are the things that we can do proactively 
that being aware of that to put us in a better circumstance. And so to me, that's where really the financial services industry is starting to pay more attention to women and the narrative shifting. We're really focusing more on educating and empowering female investors, which is what you're looking to do as well. Mm-hmm. Now, especially because we often say women need to feel comfortable and then they can take lots of decisions, but it's always that education part which is missing. Hence, women are less incentivized, let's say, to actually do something with their money. But as soon they are educated and know what they're doing, they actually can take lots of good decisions. Have you noticed like big differences between women and men in the way they want to invest either in terms of goals, in terms of risk, term horizon, or any like values, let's say socially responsible investments? Absolutely. I think there's a lot of things that women think about differently than men. I'm sure that no one would find that comment to be shocking. But when we think about it in investing, you know, we tend to seek stability over risk. And studies actually show that female investors can benefit from their greater risk awareness. So the key there is we need to make sure that we're being proactive in investing, not hesitating to invest because of some of these areas that we feel like we might not be as have a gr- as good of understanding as we want, really, you know, knowing that some of the tendencies that we have naturally, like awareness for risk and desire to be educated, actually makes us better investors. Fidelity did a recent study that shows that women outperform men because we take the time to understand these things. So it's really interesting to me that some of the things that in many ways can hold us back are actually, again, an, an advantage that we have. And so really taking the time to just say, I'm going to educate myself enough to feel comfortable to start in the investing process and really making sure that I'm identifying those goals because that's going to help me have a better comfort level and staying invested for those longer term time horizons. You know, you mentioned short term versus long term, like how do women and men think differently? Women tend to be much more focused on the big picture and the long term. So if we combine that with our awareness of risk, and being strategic about how we want to make sure that we're, you know, investing so that we're at a higher comfort level, we tend to stay invested for a longer period of time with a more thought out plan. And that actually creates more returns for women over time, which helps to drive security for us and our families, which is really what we're looking for. It circles back to that original principle that I mentioned of women seeking stability. Mm-hmm. So I think that the differences that we have actually are a great asset in our approach to investing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And if we talk about yourself, can you tell us briefly your investment principles or what kind of assets have you invested in? So the nature of my job is that I tend to invest in fairly traditional investment assets. You know, my Investment principles are much more the basics of start investing as soon as possible. So that doesn't mean that if you haven't started investing, it's too late, but it's really saying if it's something you're interested in, do something to get your feet wet. It doesn't have to be a big move. It can be something small. For me, it was my first job when I was 16. I had the opportunity to purchase shares of that employee stock at a discount. And so I did that. That was a great way for me to just understand the, okay, how do the mechanics of this work? Mm -hmm. And the benefit of that is once you start establishing an investment behavior, it's going to make it easier to continue to do. And so really just saying, I'm going to get started somewhere, anywhere, you know, with even a small step is really going to make a big difference. 
I think the other thing that's really important when we think about investing is that investing is for the long term. So people sometimes confuse saving and investing. And so to me, it's really important to differentiate between those two. And you should, you mentioned an emergency savings fund earlier, but you know, I like to say we want to save for today and invest for tomorrow. So investing is always going to be forward looking and we want to make sure that we're looking forward, but we don't necessarily need to look too far on the horizon. I think sometimes people only will invest for retirement. There's a lot of life that's going to be lived between now and then. So when we think about, you know, that aspect of how am I investing, it really depends on what time period I'm investing for. So I have much more aggressive investments for money that I don't anticipate needing until I'm done working and into that retirement phase. And I have much more moderate investments for money that I could potentially be wanting to access in, let's say, the next three to five years. And then I've got, you know, I work up the spectrum from there. Yeah. No, so do you separate your portfolios? Let's say I have like, as you said, like a medium term goal, and then I have these long term goals. And because like, depending on the time horizon, I can change my risk profile. So do you manage like one big bucket? Or do you tend to separate those? I personally like to have differentiation, we can do that within a single investment account called sleeves. So um, that's the way that I'm able to do it in the work that I do. But when I work with clients and doing a financial plan and we've identified different goals, whether it's saving or investing, we always earmark and identify what account is associated with that goal. So it's really kind of goal-based investing. So if you have different timeframes that you have goals associated with them, then I would absolutely say that it's beneficial to have those monies carved out separately so that you can invest them accordingly. Mm-hmm. And at least it's super clear, like what goals de- corresponds to what kind of risk and time horizon. Yeah. And do you have any investment tips for money chill out audience? Most of the audience is between 25 and 40 years old. So any recommendations? <laughs> well, I don't have any specific uh, stock recommendations, but what it really, you know, really comes back to some of those things that I've already mentioned But it's really understanding why you're investing. So I like to call that set your why. And those are those goals that we talked about. And to me, it's really important to have different timeframes, as we already mentioned, to drive those investments. So sitting down and setting goals for short-term, medium-term, and long-term periods, I think, is really beneficial. And then tying your investment strategies back to those. So short-term goals, we probably would just have money in the bank, but those mid- and long-term goals... We would then want to say, how are we going to allocate our investments to be appropriate for those time periods with long-term goals for the money that we know we're not going to need for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. We want to be really aggressive with those because that's going to give us the best return over that time period. Understand biases is another thing that I think is really important. That's kind of the psychology of money, but like, As I said earlier, our personal experiences, values, beliefs really influence our financial decisions. So we need to kind of understand where we're coming from before we're making some of these decisions. So if we have a tendency to carry some emotional ties to money, we want to recognize what those are and let them go. And then also just be really mindful of how those impact our investing. There's a lot of things that we are impacted with from outside our own personal space, whether it be the media or, you know, friends, other things that are influencing our decisions. And we really want to just stay focused on those goals, 
and make sure that we're making informed, rational decisions rather than reactionary emotional decisions. So that's that, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're invested for the long term, stay invested. We don't need to make moves when there's market volatility. And the other thing is really just start the conversation as you're doing on this podcast. I think the more we talk about the subject matter, the more comfortable we'll be. And also the more we can learn from others. So I think that there's a lot of people who have maybe made mistakes or had good successes, but, you know, learning from what other people have done, I think is a really great way to get comfortable, gain knowledge and really just increase our confidence. Mm-hmm. And I really agree on your point about knowing yourself first, because as you said, there's lots of psychological bias. You need to know where you want to go before doing anything. And I think that's probably what is kind of missing on a woman's perspective from the traditional financial advisor. So really pleased you you have this in mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So let's move on um, empowering women. So I know it's something really deep in your heart and you actually wanted to go further. So you're currently writing a book. Can you tell us a bit more? Was it your idea or did you get approached? And how is it going? Because it's completely a different job, like <laughs> writing a book to like managing finances. Yes, it is. I've realized how little creativity I actually have um, as I'm attempting to do this. But I mean, the idea came about organically. It's exactly what we've been talking about is that I had a lot of female clients coming to me and asking me for books that they should read so that they could have greater understanding and greater confidence in their finances. And what I found is that all of those books are about investing and the mechanics of investing. And to me, that's not the most important part of the world of finance. It's really starting with, as you said, understanding who you are, understanding what you want to achieve, and then really identifying how you're going to journey to that point. So I got into my head that I would be able to write a book that would be interesting and engaging, and I want to be a fun book club read, which I'm realizing is pretty challenging because finance isn't necessarily the most fun subject matter. But I worked really hard at it to make it be engaging, empowering. And I'm really excited to say that it's going to be submitted to the final round of edits next month and should be published this fall. Wow. No, you'll definitely tell us when it's out the title so that we can buy it because I'm sure I would be interested and I'm sure a lot of people would be as well. And do you have like key messages or how do you want to split the book? Yeah, the book's really about, you know, journey to financial independence. And to me, financial independence means being in a position to have options and make decisions that allow you to control your own future. So by nature, it's unique to everyone. So I wanted to make sure that I was giving a kind of broad overview of how that can look for different people. So I interviewed a bunch of women in my life, clients, family, friends, and I've woven their stories into three fictional characters as they pursue their financial independence. So what that does is it allows readers to experience the real life ups and downs that we see as we kind of journey through decades and demonstrate the power of the planning for expected events, but also being prepared for unexpected events can really help you feel in a position of power and be able to feel like you can make decisions that will allow you to control your own future. 
So it's really going to have a lot of points that are educational because that's really, you know, what we're trying to achieve, but also then allow for that emotional connection for you to say, this is real life. This is what happens to people and how does that impact their financial life and how do they kind of recover after some of these good and bad unexpected life events can come their way. Yeah, and I think it's super powerful so that you can actually identify yourself or imagine as you said, what can happen and relate to it. And because you don't want to be in this situation or because you want to feel prepared, then you're much more proactive and it really triggers something like a a change of habits or a change of mentality around investing. So yeah, good. And you're also proposing workshops and consulting around the book. So can you tell us a bit more on those? Sure. I started doing a female financial independent workshop that coincides with the material in the book. So it's really walking people through the process of setting smart financial goals, how to organize your finances, proper use of borrowing debt, protecting yourself, and then investor in essentials. So the workshop's really meant to kind of walk people through a light version of financial planning. So really help you identify the areas that you want to make sure you're being more proactive in your financial life. So it's a great place to get started, but sometimes we need a little bit more, you know, than just those guides to go through it. So that's when we'll engage with someone on a consulting basis. And that's really going to be more when someone has a specific event that they need some support to get through. So divorce, business sale, estate distribution. Those are ones where they're kind of, it's a specific scope of work and it's really just, I need someone to help me get through this period. So that can be anywhere from three months to three years, depending on you know the complexity of the situation. But it's really meant to have someone feel like they're not going through this period alone and that they've got a financial expert that they can lean on to help them with the financial decision-making that goes with some of these challenging times. Mm-hmm. So basically, your consulting is really like one-to-one and it's super specific to the person's current situation, whereas the workshops, I guess, it's in small groups. Yeah, yep, exactly. Cool. Yeah, and then I always leave like a one question for the end, which is either a bit more fun or something to kind of open the discussion. So you seem to be really expert in your area. You've had a long career. You seem to be really successful, super interesting. You have lots of stories. Have you either made an investment you should have made or did something that didn't go as planned, even though you seem to be like (laughs) super sharp? That's a great question. And yes. The answer is yes. We all have those mistakes that we wish we had done differently or things that we, after the fact, look back and just wonder, what was I thinking when I made that decision? So, you know, I am not excluded from that in any way. What I will say is that I'm in a fortunate position of having done this for so many years that I get to hear the stories from clients of the things that they perhaps had missteps on or things that they wish that they had done that they didn't. And so again, to me, that's really where being open and sharing with others creates tremendous value. So I do feel like I get the benefit of other people's hindsight from the work that I do. Mm -hmm. But I do, of course, have my own challenges that I've experienced. And the underlying premise of my book is one that things rarely go as planned. So I'd be remiss to not share a story of my own. (laughs) I think the biggest one that comes to mind from a financial impact is not so much investing 
but it in the stock market, but it was investing in real estate. So it was the time that my husband and I purchased our first home and we were very excited about it. We had owned a condo for, for many years and were ready to upgrade to having, you know, a house with a yard and a garage and all of the things that come with it. And unfortunately, shortly after we moved in, we started having small issues that grew bigger and bigger over time to the point that we realized that there was major structural issues with the house. Mm. So to make a long story short, it was two years of our life that we had to make substantial repairs, which were very expensive. And we also ended up in a lawsuit against the builder because of the faultiness of work that they had done. So it was a very stressful time in our life. It was a very expensive time in our life. And I think that it was one that really gave us an opportunity to say, these are the sort of things that we try and prepare for. Obviously, we did not anticipate that ever happening. We had hopes that, you know, all of the inspections and things that happen when you purchase real estate would have identified any of these issues. But, you know, life doesn't always go as it should. And that was a great example of where, you know, we had been in a circumstance where it was costing us substantially more than we had expected, but we were fortunate enough that we had ample emergency savings that allowed us to have access to funds to rectify the situation. Mm-hmm. And that, that's quite tough as well, because it's a big investment, as you said, like buying a house. So you think you've made like all the, I don't know, research and, and rely on people to help you basically decide it's a good investment. But still, even with these, all this preparation, sometimes, yeah, it's not that easy. So exactly. We did all the right things and it still just didn't go quite as planned. So a good reminder of, you know, really that you've just got to be prepared for the unexpected because life will throw you curveballs. Mm-hmm. So did it pull you off the real estate market or <laughs> did, you, did you do more investing there? I don't want to leave it on that tone. No, it did not. I'm a big believer in owning real estate. I think it's a really important part of a strong financial foundation. So um, it did not pull us out of um, the real estate market. We actually just bought a an investment property. So we continue to believe in that market. And we, we learned a lot of lessons going through the challenges that we did. And we carry that forward for each time we make a new transaction. That's good. <laughs> cool. Okay, so I think we're arriving at the end of this episode. Thank you so much, Linda, for all this discussion. I really had a good time. I learned a lot and I'm really same line as I would say as you. So thanks so much for sharing your knowledge and your way of doing things and um, yeah all the best for the publication of your book and yeah really keep us posted on how it's uh, how everything's going oh thank you so much I really enjoyed being here and I'm just I'm inspired by the work that you're doing and what your listeners are doing to start the conversation and I, I hope that I can continue to be a part of the discussion in the future thanks so much So at the end of this episode, I hope you are as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at smaricafino.com. And if you want to go further in mastering this beautiful adventure of owning your finances, please contact me. I offer workshops and coaching to guide you through. Finally, if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Lindsay McKay is an investment advisor representative, securities and advisory services offered through Satara Advisor Network, LLC, member FINRA, 
SIPC, a broker dealer and registered investment advisor. Zotero is under separate ownership from any named entity. McKay Wealth Management is located at 6000 South Center Boulevard, Suite 70, Tequila, Washington, 98188, and can be reached by phone at 206-973-4488.